name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and Amen. Directly beseech thee, O Lord, all our actions by thy holy inspiration, and carry them on by thy gracious assistance, that every prayer and work of ours may begin always with thee, and through thee be happily ended, through Christ our Lord. Amen. Mary, seat of wisdom, St. Thomas Aquinas, St. Robert Bellamine, St. Thomas More, and the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. amen. I may have some extras here, hang on. So here's one, here's one. Now I need something to look at, and here's two. There you go, so at least I have something to work off of. Okay, I even have a, maybe another one, okay. Um, well, I want to thank everybody for coming. And the reason I'm doing this, well, there's a couple of reasons. First of all, pa Father Pollard, who used to be the um, uh, parochial vicar, that's like sanitary engineer, but the curate, uh, down in our parish here, uh, when he did, um, he would do marriage preparation courses, and he says, you know what, these guys know nothing about finance, and they're going to have to run a household and prepare for the future and take care of their kids. And they have nothing, no idea how to do it. Why don't you teach a course on this stuff? So I said, this is great. I will definitely do that. And I, of course, I waited till the last semester, last part of last semester, because especially for those people graduating, because you might not get this again. Second reason I'm doing this is because my father was an accountant, and he never taught me anything about money. Never. Uh, years ago, when I, after I got my PhD, I started study business. I studied accounting for a year. Then I got an MBA. Then I got an MBA in economics. Like, all of a sudden, like, the world just opened up to me, and I realized that this was, this was kind of the way the world works, and if I was going to just survive, I was going to have to understand these things, you know? So I figured I would, for those of you who don't know anything about this stuff, I would teach you, and then hopefully you will carry this through your life. Now, I have uh, given you a handout, and it has budgeting in the front, there's, there's sample budgeting, and then your money, where it's going, and this is like a balance sheet, and then there's a cash, a statement of cash flows on the right-hand side, balance sheet on the left. And then there's what's called a handle on your debts. All right, try to figure out where your debts are. And then there's a, a last two pages on how to balance a checkbook, which I won't teach you. You go through that, and there's problems. The second page, there's problems that takes you through the, the process of, of balancing your checkbook. So I won't do that unless you need help on it. But um, I will start in the beginning. There are a million things that you have to know uh, in order to be financially secure in this world. Now, if you're starting out by saying, well, I'm going to let God take care of me, i got news for you. God expects you to use your head. God gave this world in its pristine form and said, go into the garden and, and, and subdue it and you know, uh, take care of the earth and, and multiply and all the stuff like that. Uh, John Paul II says, all the technological innovations we have in society, none of these violates this command to subdue the earth. And that means to subdue the earth in modern times, you need financial assets, financial resources. Uh, a big discussion uh, today in the social teachings, one girl thought that, well, you know, uh, this uh, couple maybe own a small business, but they don't want to live for money or richness. They, they want to just pay their bills and that's it. And I said, well, you're going to go under. If something happens to that business, you're finished. Or if you're working and you don't have any savings, you get fired, what are you going to live on? You're going to leech off your relatives? Is that what you're going to do? Now, you might have to do that, but that's not nice. You're going to go on welfare? Is that what you're going to do? You need to think about your future. And that future means all the way, hi, hang on, I think I have a sheet here for you. Yes, here you go. Well, we ran out. I made enough. I hope I have enough now. But uh, we'll see. I think that's it, though. Nobody gets any others. Um, that means all through retirement. I never thought about retirement either until I went to business school, until I learned this in business school, you know? 
So you have to think about these things now. So, um, right now, I guess at your income level, you don't have much trouble with this. Uh, you're probably all living hand to mouth. You probably get some money from your parents. Maybe not. Maybe some of you work part-time jobs. I know Sequoia here does has her own businesses and things like that. But you're not living high in the hog. But the first thing that's going to happen to you when you graduate, if you get employed, is you're going to get a paycheck bigger than you've ever had before, probably. And you know what you're going to have a tendency to do? You're going to have a tendency to go hog wild with it. And I know this because my cop friend did this. I have a cop friend in New York. He's a really, he's retired now, but he's a really good Catholic guy. But, you know, unlike my family that was wealthy, his family was very low-income family. And he worked a lot. He even worked at the university. He was in security, which this guy became a cop. He loved security stuff. But he got hired at Suffolk County Police Department. And his, his starting salary, and this is like in maybe 1980, was 50000 a year which is a darn lot of money even today for a starting salary. So then he was like a millionaire. He went out and bought all the things he never had before. He bought a nice Mitsubishi. He bought a fancy TV. He bought stereo. He got all this stuff like that. And guess what? He used up all his money and they came and repossessed most of the stuff. They didn't repossess the car he needed to go to work, but he repossessed everything else. So when I went up to visit him, he had an apartment with nothing in it. It was great. He had a dog. That's basically what he had. <laughs> so... You first thing is you don't want to do that, all right? Number one, um, you have to plan. This is a seminar on planning. You have to plan everything, which means you have to take time to do it, all right? And you have to think about things. You have to think about managing your cash. You have to think about banking. You have to think about savings. You have to think about risk, risk, which means insurance. You know, what happens if, let's say you marry, let's say if you're a girl, you married, your husband dies, get killed, or gets injured so he can't work, what are you going to do? Especially if you have kids, how are you going to support the family? You have to think about this. You can't just let this go, all right? Um, you're going to have to think about debt, how much debt you should go in, into, how to manage the debt, how to plan for debt if you, if you in fact, need debt. Um, as I said, retirement. Uh, what is excessive risk? How much risk is excessive and how much is normal? And keeping adequate records. You have to do all these things. You can't just you know, write checks and then just throw them all out when they come in and stuff like that. You need to be able to demonstrate both to other people and to the IRS where your income is, how much uh, you've donated to charity and all this other stuff. You have to keep records, which really stinks, but you have to do that. All right. Uh, the other thing is you want to be able to preserve and grow in your assets. So, in other words, if you happen to buy a house, you need to take care of it. Now, let's say if you have a car right now, with your income, you probably don't take care of it much. You just do the necessary things and you let everything go. But later on, you know, when you start getting into the world, you have to take care of the car. You won't be able to get to work. Hi. I would give you, I would give you forms, but I'm out of them. So maybe somebody can photocopy some. You can even do it at my expense if you want. Okay? So um, you have to keep these things up. My father, the accountant, everything, every something needed maintenance in the car, it was there on the minute. He kept records of this stuff. Oil needed to be changed at this mileage, it was in the shop. He took the train to work. Uh, you know, this needed to be, tune-up needed to be done, it was in the shop. Whatever needed to be done, tires rotated, even if done. Now, I don't expect you to be as good as him, because I'm certainly not as good as he is. I'm very busy, and he kind of worked regular hours. Uh, but uh, he did this stuff, and you have to keep your house up. You can't let your house deteriorate. You can't let your other things that you have deteriorate. You have to keep them up, which is going to cost you money. You can't spend money keeping these things up if you don't have any income or if you spent it all on stupid stuff, 
all right? Because you say you have, I have uh, a nice TV, a blue, what do they call it, Blu-ray, or a phone like that, or something like that. I have all this nice stuff, but my car won't drive because I didn't have money left to fix it. I can't get to work. But people do this. I studied bankruptcy when I was in, in the business school, and um, this terrible thing, you go, to, you go to bankruptcy hearings, and now some people are truly downing out, or some people's business have failed and they have to declare bankruptcy. Bankruptcy gives you protection from creditors. So in other words, if the court decides that you are legitimately bankrupt, they'll take, take, sell the creditors, I'm sorry, you can't have any of your money, and they have to write it off. They get a tax write-off for that. Um, but you know what some people have done? And I saw this a lot. You get these young married redneck type couples, and they buy a fancy truck, but they can't pay for it. To keep the truck, which you can do, they declare bankruptcy. They ruin themselves for 10 years just so they can have the stinking truck instead of selling the truck and buying a junker so they can get around with. No, i got to have my big truck, so I'm going to declare bankruptcy. You declare bankruptcy, you can't get credit for 10 years. That's going to be reflected in any job searches that you go on because people are going to check your financial records, et cetera, et cetera. You're ruining your life. And that's what, that's what people, you know, there's a seat over here. Unless you want to stay there. Okay, okay, good. So all this is very important. Um, so if you think God doesn't want you to have any money in your life, you're wrong. In fact, in social teachings, I teach this. There's effective poverty, and there's affective poverty. Effective poverty means you don't have two nickels to rub together. You're effectively poor. That's it. You don't have any assets. We want to avoid that. That is not good. Affective poverty means no matter how many assets you have, whether you've got millions or a moderate amount of whatever, you are not attached to it. This is what Christ requires, affective poverty. He does not require this. Does not require that. One of the things that economists have shown is that the more money and assets and wealth people have, the healthier they are. They get medical treatment. They eat better. They live better. They live longer. Their kids live longer. Nothing worse than having a kid, let's say, that has an abscess tooth and you don't have money for a dentist. The kid's going to get an infection. What are you going to do with it? Are you going to pull it out yourself? Are you going to steal antibiotics and give the kid to kill the infection? What are you going to do? You need money to do this. Right? You need money for all these types of things. So. We're going to show you, I can't show you how to make money, but I can show you how to, to make it so that you can preserve your money. So, I want to, let's start with the first uh, two budget sheets there. I hope I have enough now. What I had. This is your budget. Oh, boy. I don't think I have it now. Well, wait a minute. Well, let me just check. Oh, here, uh, here. I have it. I have it. I have them. These are my loose uh, sheets I used to copy. Okay. Now notice on the top of this thing it says Shenandoah Financial, Business and Financial Services. When I got the MBA, I was going to do this part-time. And I was going to do for people in their houses exactly what I'm going to do, I'm doing for you tonight. I was going to go to their houses and I'm going to say, I will come and I will work just for money for hour. You know, hourly pay. No, no big fee or anything like that. Because a lot of people in this area, the, the unemployment rate in this town at one time is 19%. I really felt sorry for people. So I'm going to show you how to run your household, to run your budget and everything like that. So when I come, have all your bills out, all your assets, all your income, whatever it is that we can use in finance out, I would, I would take it all and I would go home and I would write them a report using some of these forms and I would come back and give it to them 
and I would, you know, tally up my hours and say, you know, whatever it was, 25 bucks, 30 bucks, whatever. This is what you should do. Follow this, all right? And this will get you out of trouble. Now, whether they did or not, that'd be okay. Well, my wife didn't want me to go into this business, so I didn't do it. But it would only be part-time. It's not like I was going to quit here, but something I could do in the summer, but no. Okay, that's her thing. Okay. Notice, uh, you can do this on Excel. How many do not know how to operate Excel on a computer? Okay, just Ray, one, two, three people. Okay, you gotta learn that. Uh, that's necessary not only for doing this, but for a job. Any job you go to, you're probably gonna need to learn Excel, learn Excel. But you can put these forms on there and then you can add or subtract things that are relevant or not relevant as the case may be. So you have to budget for a number of months because your budget is going to have to be adjusted. You're gonna have to change it based on your estimation of what you really need. All right, now, some things are fixed. Uh, your income in a regular job is probably fixed, but if you're dealing uh, with on a, um, on a uh, what do they call it, um, commission basis, it's not fixed. Because sometimes you sell a lot of things, you get a big commission, sometimes you sell nothing, and you only get your base pay. That's all you get. So you have to say that can vary. Frequently it doesn't. Mine doesn't, okay? Uh, mortgage or rent, that's usually the same. Property taxes, well, it depends upon uh, whether you have... Um, uh, whether you own property or not. Taxes owed but not withheld. Personal property taxes, like in this town and most of the towns you come from has, have car taxes, don't they? So you have a car, you have to pay that. Or if you could, you have to pay things like, you see at the bottom of the page, water and roads and that kind of thing. Those all have to be taken into account. Those change from time to time. Um, alimony, child support, that's not your problem right now. Insurance, you have to have auto insurance. If you have a home, you should have homeowner's insurance. If you can, you should have apartment insurance. Apartment insurance insures all your stuff in the house if your apartment catches fire. All right, that's good. That you don't want to lose all your furniture. All right, because what do you sit on? You know, that kind of thing. Uh, life insurance. If you buy life insurance now, whole life insurance, okay, whole life. Whole life means it's as good for your whole life. It's also a forced savings plan. At your age, the premiums are really cheap. They're really cheap. At my age, they're very expensive. So I wouldn't start a whole life plan now. But you're going to pay, let's say you get, I don't know, I don't know what the rates are anymore, but say I used to sell insurance, but $50,000 worth of insurance, let's just say. You paid peanuts today. You know why? Because the mortality tables say that 99.9% .9 of people your age are going to live for until about 82 or something like that. Now, some of you will die before that, but they don't know who it is, but they have an idea of how many will die, you know, otherwise getting a nuclear war or some, you know, big meteor hitting the world or something like that. But other than that, they have an idea. So they don't have to charge you that much. Get it now. Don't wait till you're my age to say, you know what, I should get some insurance. Get it now. If you have a spouse, get insurance on your spouse. And uh, don't just get enough to bury you. You know, because especially, especially if you're dealing with the, the head of the family, the husband, you, want, you don't want your spouse and your children to live in poverty. You have to get enough insurance to take care of them. All right? Or the woman's going to be stuck, going to have to go out and work, et cetera, et cetera. And it's one of the sources of poverty is divorce, which hopefully that will not happen to any of you, but the other one is the death of the, of the main breadwinner. And then the woman probably doesn't have a lot of skills, doesn't have any work experience because she's been raising the kids for all these years, and she has to go out and try to make ends meet. And you have to say, what am I going to do? Who's going to mind the kids while I'm working, et cetera, et cetera. So life insurance is very important. As you get older, add to the life insurance. As your income goes up, add to the life insurance. Okay? 
Uh, they also, I have an insurance policy with our retirement plan, TIA CREF, that has an inflation thing. So I pay a, a little extra every month and it keeps up with inflation. So I think, you know, let's say, I don't know how much insurance I have, but let's say $250,000. I pur first purchased that, now it's probably up to $300,000 because with this little extra month they added an inflation thing on it. So you're, you're, getting, you're getting the original $250,000 in purchasing power even though the, the amount has gone up, because the amount has gone up. It hasn't stayed. Like $250,000 10 years ago isn't worth $250,000 today, right? So you want the $250,000 or whatever it is, okay? So these are a whole life that's very important that you do that and you think about that. <coughs> God bless you. Uh, okay, so um, then you have your variable expenses. Now most of these things are, are constant, like um, when you talk about savings and investments, an emergency fund, I want to talk about savings a little bit. Most people don't have savings anymore. In fact, the United States has a negative savings rate. And uh, we tend, because we tend to spend more than we make, you have to exercise the self-discipline. And every time you get paid, pay yourself first. Decide what chunk of your paycheck you can afford to put into a savings account. It may be $25 a month. It may be $100 a month. Maybe $10. I mean, whatever it is, pay yourself first. Don't say, well, let me pay my bills off and let me do this. Let's see if I have a left, left, left over because you know what? You will spend the leftover. Pay yourself first. When you get paid, put something in the savings account. As little as it is, every time you get paid, do that. Now, don't put too much in because then you won't be able to pay the other bills. You know, you need to eat, you need to have lights, you need to have heat in the wintertime, maybe cooling in the summer. But make sure you do that. Over time, this will accumulate. And through the magic of compound interest, there's a little graph. Your savings will go like this, it'll go like this, it'll go like that. And the interest, remember, or the interest uh, increases your amount of savings. So let's say you're just putting the same amount of money in year after year. But the interest increases the amount of money and eventually takes off. This is called the hockey stick. It takes off like a hockey stick. So by the time you're ready to retire, you could be a millionaire. You could be a millionaire if you start now. If you start now. If you wait, this won't happen. You won't be around long enough for it to happen. So you want to, you want to have a nice retirement. Wouldn't it be nice to, to go someplace nice in your retirement, not have to eat cat food? <laughs> Yes. So what, um, are you going to talk about what types of accounts are good for? Yes, we're going to talk about pyramiding your investments. Yes, sir. Um, how do you determine how much we should put aside for savings when we get our paychecks? Well, that's what the budget is for because you have to go and you have to decide what your bills are. All right? And you have to decide what's left over. Now, I think I put things in here. You got an automobile. Okay, now. You've got, now things like daycare, if you don't have sending your kids to daycare, you don't have to worry about that. Public transportation, now pocket money. His, hers, and the kids. Uh, uh, there should be entertainment in here. Yeah, entertainment and recreation. You have to restrict this, you have to say, look, I'm not gonna go out to dinner every night. I'm not gonna go to Outback Steakhouse every night, you know, which I would love to do, and I would plump up even more than I have. But uh, that's so delicious. But you have to say, all right, say my wife or husband and I, we have a right to go on a date, all right? So we'll go out maybe once a week or once every two weeks. Maybe we'll go on an expensive date, 
So how much does that cost? Well, let's say you do go out of Outback. Let's say it's going to cost you $40. You spend $40 every two weeks. You say, you know what, with all the other stuff we have and the little money I, I would left to put in the bank, that's too much. Why don't we go for breakfast? Breakfast is the cheapest thing. So we'll go, say, to mom's in town for breakfast once every two weeks or something like that until you get more money. So you have to decide what you're going to do. And then you see, well, if we cut back, we cut back, we can put this amount in, in savings. But you've got to put something in there. Now, if you get a big promotion and you get substantial more, take some of that money and put in savings. Don't decide to spend it all. You know, take, take a chunk of it. Say 10%, 20% of a raise, put it in savings. You know? It just depends how much discretionary funds you have. Yeah. You uh, mentioned something about negative savings. We have a negative savings rate in the United States. In other words, people borrow more than they save. No, 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 no. That, that means that I'm telling you to save money because there's a good chance, statistically, you won't do it if I don't tell you about it. You'll borrow more and you would save because you want that big stereo, you want that big TV, and you want to go on the big vacation, you don't really have the money, so I'm going to put it on the credit card. So you, so you can't really do that. You have to make sure you're savings. And that, it has to be net savings because, um, and let's talk about credit a little bit. When you're using credit, you should only use it when it's absolutely necessary. Don't start sticking things on a credit card. In fact, you really shouldn't take a credit card with you when you go out. Uh, debit cards are different because debit cards come right out of your checking account. So if your car breaks down, that's going to use the money you have available for those very things. On the bottom of the first page, I have automobile, and I have gas and oil, repairs and maintenance. All right? You have to put something in for repairs and maintenance. And what you do is you think, well, how much maintenance do I need? Well, I need my tires uh, changed. Uh, at this time, they cost about X amount of money. Divide it by the number of days or the number of pay periods from then, right? And that, that tells you how much you have to save each pay period for that. So you know that's, that you put that in your checking account and leave it there. You have to have, like I say, an emergency fund. Some of that savings is an emergency fund. So if your car breaks down, you use that. Um, what was the other thing I was going to say? Uh, what did you ask again? I forgot. Oh, but the savings, yeah. So... So you're, in your checking accounts, you're saving not only for your savings thing, which you have to keep record of, but you're saving for other things, long-term expenses that are going to come later on. All right? So we don't change our tires every week, right? So, or rotate them or buy new ones every week. So you, so you have to be, have it in there, but you, don't, you put it in as an expense you spend every week, but you have to save for it every week. Same thing with oil changes, all right? And then you save extra for emergency road care, which occasionally we all need, you know? Uh, let's see, uh, things like haircuts. I would say at your age you probably cut your own hair. My wife cuts mine and looks it. Uh, medical and dental bills not covered by insurance. Now that's hard to estimate. You kind of don't know, save for that. Clothing and dry cleaning. It depends upon the type of job you have. If you really have to look natty, you're going to have to buy good clothes and you have to dry clean them. So you're going to have to have a larger budget for that. If you, if you don't do that, if you just kind of like, you know, a lot of offices have very casual uh, appearance. You don't have to dress up to go in because nobody sees you anyway. Then you don't have to worry too much about that. Uh, educational expenses. This is very important. When you get out of Christendom, don't stop learning. Don't stop learning. And focus your learning on things that have to do with what you're doing for a living. Uh, even if it's not your favorite subject. All right? So let's say, uh, let's say you do what I did. Uh, one of the jobs I had, well, I was a casualty claims investigator. All right? What you need to do is continue your education on uh, tort law, because right? that's what a tort is. A tort is a personal injury thing. Continue your education on tort law. Continue taking courses. And there are 
courses your job would probably pay for on in crime investigation, accident investigation, on and on. Keep doing that and keep trying to do, trying to learn the job of your superiors. All right? In fact, sometimes the guy's going on vacation, ask him if you can do some of his work for him. So I used to say to my dad, who was an accountant, I said, who does your work for you when you're on vacation? He said, nobody. I come back and there's stacks of things to do. And I said, why is that? He says, because it would take six months to train somebody to replace me. Well, somebody should have maybe started to learn his job a little bit so they could at least cut down his workload when he came back from vacation uh, or that they could take his job over somewhat without six months of training, which he had to do. When he retired, he retired at 55. We were that well off. He trained somebody, and it took six months to replace him. Yes, sir? Exactly how, exactly when would you expect us to Oh, it depends on what you're what you're doing for a living. Okay. Now, for example, when I got out of college, I want I was going to be a professor. All right, so I went a year of political philosophy at Fordham full time. My dad paid for that. Then my father married this woman who was nothing but a gold brick and just wanted his money. So my education was cut, and I decided, well, it's maybe it's my mother had died. So, but but anyway, I said maybe it's time just to to go and do do business stuff, and I'll get married. So I did that. So I did that for a year. And uh, during that year, I did take some courses, all right? And that, the job paid for that, all right? I, took, uh, I was working in pensions, and I took a course called Pensions and Profits Sharing, all right, that course. So that was pretty nice. Then I sold insurance. Uh, and then the next following year, that's for one year. I did it for one year. I quit the pensions job because it was really boring, and there's a long story behind that. But then I did the insurance thing. And then next year, I had a, I had a fellowship, which kind of paid my expenses. I had saved money. My dad had given me some money for my wedding. So we lived. Okay, then after that, I went out, and I got other jobs, and I learned different things. So I learned. I became a private detective, and I learned that stuff. And then when I started to get ulcers from that job, because that's really I'm, I'm a nervous person, as you can tell. That real, I started to get ulcers. I talked to a police sergeant. He says, you know what, you ought to get out of this job so while you can. I said, why? He pulled up his shirt. He says, look at me. He had all scars from operations of ulcers. Of course, he didn't get out of his job. I don't know. <laughs> but I said, all right, that's it. I will do that. So then I got, because of the insurance knowledge I had and the investigation knowledge I had, I got a job as a casualty claims investigator, which was like one of the best non-academic jobs I've ever had. It was wonderful. But I kept up on things there, you know, and I had a law background from graduate school, poli sci you learn a lot of law. So it was really, really cool. But uh, it just depends. Or you could do maybe what I should have done right away. Sometimes I regret doing this because it's not that lucrative. And in the days when my kids were reading at a house and home, I said, why didn't I get an MBA when I went out of college? Could have done that. So it's up. See, it depends on what you want to do. Depends on what you want to do. Uh, now, if you just go to become, like, say, a teacher in one of these small Catholic schools, there's no future in that financially. Uh, you might not even be able to get married if you if you do that, you know. So you might say to yourself, you know what? I can't really afford to teach in little podunk Catholic school. I'm not talking about a big diocesan one, but a podunk Catholic school. You know, a couple of families get together and hire as a teacher. So I can't do this if I'm going to get married. I have to go and find some other work, or if I want to get an apartment that has smaller rats in it, you know, than the one I have. <laughs> you know, okay. But on the other hand, if you want to be an entrepreneur. Or if you want to be in business, yeah, go for an MBA or go for a, do and take the CPA or the CMA, which is an internal accountant in the business, or get a Master of Science in Tax Accounting or a Master of Science in Taxation or go to law school or something like that. I mean, I, I highly recommend these things. But I'm assuming that many of you will not do this, that you'll be content with what you have here. But whatever you work as, and you're going to have to work, you need to help do things to advance you in life or else you're going to be stuck. You can be stuck at the same pay level or more or less the same pay level forever. Yeah. Uh, 
should we wait until we have the debt from this college paid off to start on other things? I don't think so. I didn't. Well, no, I didn't have any debt from college. My father paid. Oh, sorry. Whoops. No, I don't think so because you want, you might never go back. You might never go back. You see, so you say, I'm going to wait. You might never go back. And they, by the way, they don't require the payment of debt if you're still going to school, as I understand. So if you go to school right after college, they don't, the college can't require you to start paying the thing off, as far as I know. Don't, don't take, ask the business or the, uh, the financial aid ladies about that. But I know I paid for my own MBA. I didn't tell anybody I was doing it. I paid for my own MBA. And um, then I started, I went to Mr. McShirley and I was going to, you know, I was paying a fortune for this. And I went to him and I said, uh, could I borrow money to go for an MA in economics? Because I just love economics. And he said, oh, no, that's faculty development. We'll pay for this. I'm saying to myself, I probably could have gotten paid the MBA too. Oh, well. So anyway, I didn't have to start paying for the MBA until I finished the MA in economics. And the MA in economics was basically free, except for the books. So, this, so they might not require that you uh, that you start paying. Not a check with them though, because we have we don't have we have a private plan, so I don't know. But uh, yeah, anything, whatever you can do uh, uh, academically, whatever. But I'm I'm just assuming. Suppose you don't. Suppose you don't. You know. So, but always have a continuous life of learning. Never decide just to sit there. I'm just going to go to work nine to five, and I'm just going to do my stuff and come home. Never do that because you're shutting yourself out. The world is dynamic, and I know it's hard to understand that when you're young. The world is dynamic, and it will move on beyond you, and it will leave you in the lurch. Yes, sir. What kind of jobs would be most likely you uh, pay for your MS accounting or an MBA? Well. Um, uh, Jobs in business, in business business, for say. Now, for example, um, a job that's primarily a liberal arts orientation, like the pensions job I had, that was a liberal arts thing. They say, poli-sci major, fine. They like communication, people are their people persons, and they can do some math, but they don't have to do advanced math, that's fine. But if you're in uh, something that is higher than that, or you want to go higher in that organization, uh, you need to do, you need to go on for something else. Now, uh, if you're starting to work for an accounting firm, you're going to have to do uh, CPA or CMA or some of the or the tax accounting thing or whatever. Uh, if you're a regular business firm, an MBA, MBA is very good because an MBA gives you in-depth knowledge of all the aspects of business. You have management, you have advanced management, you have organizational behavior, you have um, management information systems. You have managerial economics. You have macroeconomics for management. So you try to predict what the economy is going to do. Uh, you have um, marketing and marketing theory and all this other stuff. Uh, entrepreneurialism, international economics, international business, business law. You got all that stuff. And then when you get out of an MBA program, you, know, you could be the CEO of a firm, except, you know, unless it's your firm, they're not going to put you in that job right away, which could be because you have a whole overview of how a company works and how the outside of it works and how the international economy works and how everything fits in. It's really kind of neat. But even then, you've got to keep up. You have to keep up. Like me, I don't work in the, uh, in the management information systems at all. And all I learned in that course is totally left me behind. It's all technology. But when I took the course, I could go into a company and I could advise them on what kind of, of high-tech systems they need for their, their business needs. I could say, this is what's available, this is how you do this, and all this, all this technical stuff is amazing. But since I don't use it, I wouldn't ask me about that today. In fact, I can barely use the photocopier. Right? But I can do other stuff. I had to do accounting. I could bone up a little bit and do that, but I don't use that too much here. And of course, I specialize in economics. 
but it really gives you, and it gives you a good, um, a good background to understand people. You know, the management science and organizational behavior are all psychological. And even management theory and practice was very psychological. Understand how people are and how, how they, you know, what makes them tick and what makes them do things or not do things or whatever. It's really kind of, kind of interesting. So it's, uh, I, some of those courses, I just, my mouth was open the whole time. I found them absolutely fascinating. And by the way, most business subjects do come from the liberal arts. You know who invent double entry accounting? A Franciscan friar named Pacioli, who was a mathematics student of Leonardo da Vinci. Who would have thunk, right? Who would have thunk? Because the thing, accounting, numbers, boring, a monk did that, friar, you know? Same thing, management. Management comes from uh, philosophy of human nature, all right? Comes from that. So these are all really uh, liberal arts extensions, but they're extensions into the world of work and, and business, you know? Okay, so you have this budget, you set it up for the month, and then you see whether you're right or not. Let's see if things take off, if you had to spend some more on this. I didn't realize that my cleaning bills were that war, my gas bills. I estimated, you know, there were all estimates. I estimated that, well, two tanks of gas was enough to get me to work for, say, two weeks. My paycheck is every two weeks, and it really wasn't, so I'm down there. So then you adjust it. So you adjust it month after month, and then, but you stick to it as well as you can. And the object is self-discipline. The object is don't spend it if you don't have it budgeted. Now, all of these expenses are going to be in your checking account. So you have to keep a record of what you spend. You can't look at the checking account. Oh, I got $1,000 in there. Wow, I'm going to go out and get a nose job. <laughs> wait, wait, the $1,000 included your electric bill, your gas bill, your heating bill, your car gas, blah, 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 blah. You can't do that. You can't do that. And by the way, the last pages in here are how to balance a checkbook. I'm not going to teach you that. You go through that. Because if you don't balance your checkbook, you're going to think you have more money in there than you really do, and you're going to bounce checks. And I learned something recently, something I didn't know, because the banks have kept this very secret. Let's say you have $50 in a checking account, okay? And you have bills that are coming in, and you haven't, uh, you haven't thought about this. So you have, let's say, $75 worth of checks that are going to come in this week, all right? And... One of these is $55, all right? And then another's $10, and another's $10. They're all going to come in on the same day. Well, you would think that the bank would first take these and pay them, all right? So now you have $30 left, and then this one will bounce. And then you pay, like, maybe a $20, $30 bounce fee. You know what they do intentionally? They take this out first, and they bounce all three of them, $30, $60, $90 and bounce check fees. I didn't realize that. My wife called up the bank and asked them about it and said that's how they do it. That's how they make their money. Now they make their money by loaning money out, but they make extra money with all these fees. You don't want to bank ch bounce checks. So you have to balance your checking account and this is why you need to keep some money extra in that checking account. So what you're going to do, well that's not a market, that's a tide bet. What you're going to do is when you start your savings, keep in checking first. Accumulate it in checking first, but keep track of it. If you have $1,000 in the account and you have 200 savings, remember that 200 is savings, don't touch it. And then you have all the other things for upcoming bills, including your entertainment and what leisure, saving for a little vacation, whatever it is. And now, when you get up about, say, $600 or so, take $100 every so often and stick it in savings. 
All right, then you can put another 100 and another 100. Because this is your cushion to prevent against anything, and it's also your emergency fund. All right, and so one thing that people do, even if they are saving, they put it all in the savings account, and then what happens is they start bouncing checks. So the savings, the money they're getting, or the interest they're getting on savings, is wiped out by the fees they're doing on checks. So you need to keep a cushion in your checking account. All right, so remember that. In fact, you might even add this to your budget. Add cushioning to your budget. Pad it a little bit. But remember not to spend it. And this, ladies and gentlemen, takes time. You have to work on this. So you thought your Saturdays were going to be spent going out and playing ball and visiting your friends and everything else. No. You're going to have to work on this, and you have to keep it up. If you don't keep it up, you will fall behind. You'll never catch up. And then doing, 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 bounce, bounce, bounce. You wouldn't know where your money is, and you wouldn't know what you're doing. And then it'll be lost. It'll be lost. All this will be down the drain. Okay? Now, at some point in your life, you go to the second sheet. Again, not now, but, you know, when you start working. Maybe in six months after you start working, you want to start... You know, photocopy this form a number of times, and you want to check what your balance sheet is. And your balance sheet tells you how much assets you have and how much liabilities you have and what's your current net worth. Okay, so you how much money you got in checking, how much in savings. If you have savings certificates, savings bonds, market value of your home or apartment. You know, you, if you bought a condo, it has a market value. Uh, value of other real estate you might have, life insurance policies, the cash value of, high, of life insurance, but not the death value. So in other words, if you've been paying your premiums, your death value might be $100,000, but your policy is only worth $500,000, the cash value. You can cash a policy in if you need it. If you get a catastrophic illness, you need money, you can cash them in, all right? Uh, surrender value of any annuities you have. All this down to IRA, KEO plans, uh, market value of stocks, bonds, and mutual funds. When you're young, you don't have too much of this, but later on, you might. Uh, current value of automobiles. If you had to sell your automobiles, what would you get today for them? Market value. Now, would you think they work? What, you look in the paper and say, you know, I have, a, I have a 2000 Buick. How much could I sell it for today? I don't know, $500? I don't know. Furs and jewelry. Okay, loans receivable. Like if you loaned your brother $1,000 so he could start a business or whatever it is, you know, he, he owes you the money. Hopefully you can get it from him when the time comes. And any of the other assets. And then liabilities. You've got your current bills, mortgage balance, credit card balance, auto loans, blah, 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 all the way down to the bottom. Hopefully at the bottom, assets minus liabilities will tell you what you're worth. Hopefully your assets will be more than your liabilities. If your liabilities are more than your assets, you have to find out how you're going to cut down on the liabilities. Because if something happens to you and you needed to pay off those liabilities, you'd be screwed, wouldn't you? You wouldn't have any money to pay them all. So you'd have to go bankrupt. And you don't want to do that. That's silly. And it's destructive. Same thing here. On the next page at the top is cash flow. Or the whole thing is cash flow. Take home pay bonuses, any self-employment interest, interest, dividends, blah, blah, blah. And what you're paying out. Just to take a look at your, at your, um, at your uh, cash flow. And then again at the bottom, surplus or deficit. Hopefully you have a surplus. If you have a deficit of cash flow, you're in serious trouble. You have to do something to limit the outgo or increase the income, whatever it is. Now, if you're not in a big demanding job that makes you work, you know, seven days a week, you might take an extra job on the weekends to just fill that up. Or maybe your spouse or maybe your kids can mow lawns or something like that to contribute to the household. If you can't cut. But most of the time people can cut. Most of the time you have to say, you know what, I thought I needed let's say cable TV. I thought I needed this fancy cell phone 
where I could call Genghis Khan back in the past for really cheap, but you say, you know what, I'm going to have to give that up. And you know what, I have a cell phone, I don't have it anymore. We gave it up. We gave it up. Because we're trying to pay off debts, we gave it up. I have no cell phone. So if I'm on a highway and my car breaks down in a bad neighborhood, I'm dead. <laughs> I can't call anybody. All right, but I used to love that thing. Not that I, I'm a phone conversation guy. I don't like it. But you know, if I'm on the highway, I'm driving to the graduate school, and I can check that 511 number to find out if there's a traffic jam or anything else. Now I just have to offer it up. I just, just go and offer it up. If I get stuck in a traffic jam, oh well. And I couldn't avoid it unless I could see it way ahead of time or something. So you have to say, where can I cut? And you have to be serious about it. That's, in a sense, that's a nice thing about having a very strong-willed wife because she's got her mind, we do agreed on this, but she has her mindset on that, so I don't have two nickels to rub together. And like my, my ego says, oh man, I used to you know, spend like a drunken sailor, especially when I was in college, because we were rich, like I say, but then you know, now I don't have a nickel, and you know it's really good for me not to have a nickel instead. You know, I can, I can barely get up the money to buy a coffee over at St. Killian's when I have my office hour over there. But you know, it's, that's kind of good. Okay, now. Let's think about um, uh, investing. Let's think about investing. I would suggest if you don't have any specialized training, don't do investing yourself. Okay? Don't do investing yourself. Um, investing requires a lot of work. Uh, if you, let's see, what's the name of this thing? I'm so bad with names. Um, ah. If you go down to the public library in town, you can find a thing called Value Line. It's a publication covered, co published by this country, company, Value Line. And it's in ring binders, and they update it all the time. It's very updated. And it has information on all the companies that are on the stock exchanges. So there are multiple books, and there's types of companies, so you don't have to go through everything looking for things. And the page is really small print but it gives you all the information you need about a company, its whole history, the history of its stock price, the history of its business, its, its financial statements, recent financial statements are on there, all this stuff. It's really an amazing thing. So if you want to do your own investing in stocks or bonds, go look at Value Line. All right, and there's other things you can have too, but I happen to like that. It's just easily accessible. Uh, but normally what you do is have somebody else invest your money. So you have a 401k plan, or you have some other kind of thing. Now I have, like I, for our retirement, I have TIA CREF, which is the plan that all college professors have. And uh, I can control it. I mean, I can put money into annuities. An annuity is an investment with a guaranteed income. So an annuity is money you put in there, and they give you a guaranteed level of interest, no matter what happens in the economy. So I have a third of my money in annuities, and then I have two-thirds of my money uh, divided up on different types of stocks. All right, so I have international, I have domestic, and I have some uh, some risky stocks. But the risky stocks give you more return. Now there are professional investors that do this, and they try to spread their investments over a large number of stocks, which limits the risk. Because if some companies bomb out, the other companies may go up, so you may not lose anything. So that's what I do. But if you want to do your own stuff, you have to do your homework. But then you have to keep track of it. You have to keep track of it. I wouldn't do day trading if I were you. First of all, you have to do that full time. But you know what? Most of the, the rule is, generally speaking, for any investor, hold on to stocks for the long term. Hold them for the long term. 
because the market historically has always gone up, especially your age. You know, the market will go up long term. Don't retire when it's in a down blip. Wait. Say, I'm going to spend a couple more years working and then I'll retire when it goes up again. That's the best thing. At your age, most of your investments, once you start to build up this savings account that you have, start pyramiding your investment. The first thing you're going to do is certificates of deposit and pyramid those. Six months, six months uh, certificate of deposit, one year, and then five year certificates of deposit. So let you, I, I think the amounts that they require today are higher than they used to be, but let's say, uh, let's say, you know, I don't know, $5,000 in six months and put $5,000 a year and 5,000 in five. So you know that in six months this is gonna become due and you can take the money with, with all the interest they guarantee you because they pay a higher interest if you lend them the money for six months or a year or five years. So you know that in six months you'll have this money if you need it for anything. Now, meanwhile, you don't empty your savings account. So your savings account keeps building. That keeps building and then you peel off some of it into these things. So every six months, you're going to get an influx of money. Every year, you get another influx of money. And every year, every five years, you get an influx of money. And then when this retires, you buy another one. And this retires, you buy another one, you buy another one. And then you buy more of these along the line. Yes? So um, are these three separate CDs or is this one? Separate CDs. No, they're separate. Yeah, there was only, only one for one period of time. Right. So then you buy some more, and then you think about stocks and bonds. Now, what are bonds? I'm talking mainly about corporate bonds. Uh, you can buy government bonds too. Government bonds are very safe, but they pay low. So some of your money could be in government bonds if you want to do that. But let's say a federal government bond might pay you 3% because they're so safe. Uh, you know, if the American government falls, we're all in trouble anyway. So, so you buy the, the government bonds, you get 3%. But you don't want to live on 3% interest for the rest of your life. So you want to buy corporate bonds. Uh, corporate bonds are what you call coupon bonds. A bond is a loan. You're lending the money to the corporation. So a bond is usually in $1,000 face values. So you buy bonds for $1,000 a piece, and then every quarter you get to tear off a ticket and send it in, and they send you the interest payment. And then when the bond is due, let's say it's a five-year bond, then you get the 1000 bucks back. All right? So you have some bonds. A lot of people have a lot of bonds, and they live off the interest, especially retired people. So they have tons of bonds over the year they've accumulated. And they tear these coupons off every quarter, and they mail them in, they get a big check. All right? So you can do that. Of course, when the bond expires, you get your money back, you go buy another one. But again, you have to investigate the companies. Uh, bonds that pay higher interest are more risky, because they're trying to attract, you to attract you into giving them money because they don't have a track record. So they're what call, what's called junk bonds, and they're not really junk, that's a name that was applied to them, but they have no track record, so they might pay 16% interest, which is way high, but they have the most risk. So again, you want to diversify. Have some government bonds at 3% interest, short term, then maybe get some longer ones, and then you buy corporate bonds at lower rates and higher and higher and higher, and then maybe a couple of junk bonds. Yes? I hope this isn't too, too irrelevant, but I've heard it said that considering the state of our economy, um, it's a really good idea right now to buy gold. Mm. Is that true? Gold is an inflation hedge. I believe, and this is my economist prediction, that if, unless the government stops this gigantic floodwater of spending, next money we're going to next next money, next year we're going to have very high inflation. And gold is an inflation hedge. It's already over $1,000 an ounce, where it's gone down to about 800 as far as I know, maybe even below that. 
So I would say some of your investment should be in gold now if you have it. Of course, I don't think that's your problem right now uh, because you don't have the money. But yes, some of it should. If you have a period of expected inflation, gold is a good thing. And make sure that the nominal interest rate of all these things is higher than the inflation rate. And now here's a big problem. The Austrian economists, uh, when I went to the Austrian Scholars Conference last, uh, last March, they had a way of predicting the inflation rate that's higher than what you hear from the government. And it was very interesting because they predicted the inflation rate last March at 9%. Where have you heard that? Haven't heard that in the media. They were saying, well, it's 25 3%. They expected 9%. Why? Because the inflation rate at the higher levels of production was going up. Prices were starting to go up at the origins of things. Iron ore, coal, uh, people who worked in those industries, etc., that had not come down to consumer goods. They only look at consumer goods usually in, when these in this data, but the Austrians look at everything. So I would say, you know, yeah, if you got the money, gold's a good investment. In fact, you know who knows about this and who has some investment is Cyrus. Cyrus Arts. I think he has some gold. At least he talks about what he has. It. So he's a neat guy to talk to about it. Gold tea. Gold tea. <laughs> oh boy. But I mean. <laughs> I have gold teeth, actually. The dentist said they last longer than the regular phony teeth, so, okay. And they hold their value. I'm sorry? And they hold their value. Yeah, they hold their value. That's right. If, I'm, if I get sent to a death camp, I've got something to give them. <laughs> okay, so that's the way you do that. And again, you don't, you don't just say, well, I'm just going to take my money because I want to go on a vacation. I'm just going to kill all these things off. You're saving over the long term, yeah. So what... Um I know incomes vary, but what percentage of your income should you consider using um, safe usage for long-term investments like CDs and things like that? Well, again, it depends upon how you make, how much you make and how much you need. If you, Now, there's a book called The Mind of a Millionaire. Highly recommend it. These guys studied a whole bunch of millionaires, and you know what they found? They don't live high on the hog. They live in modest houses. They drive ordinary cars. That's how they became millionaires. The millionaires we see are movie stars and irresponsible people, always going to the club every night, pulling up at a limousine, you know, going to all these crazy places. They go to Club Med and Sandals and all these other places all the time. They're just throwing their money down the drain. Regular, real millionaires don't live like this. They do not live like this. That's how they became millionaires. So what you do is you keep your expenses down, and then the more your salary goes up, the more you put into investments. So don't invest in gigantic cool stuff that you wish you had. Don't do it. Live moderately. And that's good for you, too, because, right, we talked about affective, oh, it's not there anymore, affective poverty. You know, the more stuff you have, the more attached to it you get. Now, my son has a Blu-ray. I saw a movie on there the other night, the Kung Fu Panda. It was a great movie if you haven't seen it. But, man, oh, what a TV that was. Now, he makes more than I do, and he's not even 30 yet. Where did I go wrong? <laughs> but uh, I, I said to my wife, when are we getting a Blu-ray? She didn't answer me because I know we're not getting one. So. <laughs> but, you know, I'm, she's right. I have a TV that he gave me. It's gigantic. It's very nice, but it's not fancy. It's just big enough for me to see because I'm going blind. All right. So, I mean, I'm, I'm totally content with that until it breaks. That's it, you know? And I have, uh, we have a, a stereo. We got which is downstairs. I have a computer, basic computer that works fairly well for me. And I can do things on that. And that's all I need. That's really all I need. So if I get extra money, I'm not going to buy anything new. I buy used cars. My wife's buying, uh, driving a 93 Buick, which is really, really good and reliable. I drive a 2000 Buick. I'm not going to be driving a Ferrari anytime soon or a BMW. Even one of my sons drives a BMW. Even I'm not that bad, you know? So um, 
Uh, I guess he had more money at the time, but um, so you know, this is this is what you have to do. You have to live moderately and put more percentage and more percentage of income into these investments. Now, let's think of the long term. Let's th let's suppose you live and everything's fine and your family's growing. You're going to have to buy a larger house. Where are you going to get the down payment for the larger house? You're going to get it from your savings. All right. Your kids want to go to Christian College, but unlike me. You don't teach there. My kids went here for free. That's one of the benefits of being a professor here. Your kids don't. You're going to have to pay for that. You want to, don't want to go to Podunk State University where they're going to get God knows what kind of communist propaganda in class. They're going to get pregnant, whatever else it is. They're going to become alcoholics and drug addicts. You don't want that to happen, right? You want them to go to a place like this or something similar to this, at least a place you can trust, right? You're going to have to pay for it. Now, you, if, you, if you're just down and out, you can get a lot of financial aid. But wouldn't it be nice to be like me, where my dad would say, tell me how much you wrote the check for? Wouldn't you like to do that for your kids? Just write the check for their tuition and their room and board and be able to send the money. You can't do it unless you follow my advice. Because the time the kids go to college, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? They say, I'm sorry, you're going to have to pay for it yourself. You're going to have to get a job. You're going to have to get all this financial aid. You're going to be loaded with debt when you get out. Now, when my, uh, my son went here for two years, my oldest son, Thomas, and then he went to paramedic school. And I think he might have paid for it himself because he was the, I don't know, I don't know if we paid for that. We might have paid for that. That was two years. So two years here, two years in paramedic school, he became a paramedic and worked for uh, Fairfax County as a paramedic. He loved the medical stuff so, so much, he came home and said, Mom and Dad, I want to go to medical school. Well, what he had to do was go to Shenandoah for his last two years. So we did pre-med, bio, and chemistry at Shenandoah. And he lived, he and his family, he was already married. His family and us, they lived with us. He had to get rid of his fancy stuff that he had bought because they were making good money at, at, at uh, Fairfax County. Uh, and we paid for his tuition there. And then he went to medical school. There's no way we could pay for his medical school. So he had to go into gigantic debt. So he's like a million dollars in debt now. But he's just finishing his residency, and now he's going to be a big shot emergency phys room physician up at Hershey Medical Center, where I think they treat you with chocolate for every disease. I think I'll go there. But uh, and he's also going to be on the faculty at Penn State University, so he's going to make substantial money. So now he's he has to start paying that off. But you know what? He's got six kids and one on the way. So thank God he's going to be in a profession that pays very well later on. And when I retire, I'm probably going to figure out how to go live with him and have him <laughs> just another mouth to feed come on you know but uh, not everybody can be in that good shape you see he's really got a lot to, a lot of debt to pay off it's going to be very difficult for him so uh, they're trying to find a place I think they found a they're renting a house up there that's coming a fairly moderate amount of uh, money and but he's going to have to face sending his kids to college one day and stuff like that and what's he going to do you know he's not going to send them to Penn State that's for sure you know so uh, that's what you have to do. Uh, so anyway, here you go, you're getting into, say, early middle age, your kids are going to college, you're paying, but you still have to do everything else. You still have to budget, you still have to save, you still have to live within your means, you have to still live moderately, uh, you have to make your kids live moderately, you have to teach them about money at an early age, you have to encourage them to go do a little work on the side. You know, you know what I did as a little kid, as a young kid in grammar school? We, we used to have a big vacation. My dad had a big vacation of two months upstate every year because he was an accountant. He could do that, I guess. Uh, I volunteered my services at a, at a resort that was nearby that had a lot of old people there. Now, I don't know how old they were because I was young, so to me, people your age were old. But um, 
I volunteered to be to carry bags for people. Didn't cost the guy who owned the place a nickel. And people would pull up in the car, and I would go out and get their heavy suitcases. But I was a big, strong guy. I'd bring them up the stairs. There was no elevators, you know, because it was an old building. I bring, and they would tip me, and I would live on tips. I made a fortune doing that. Two months every summer, I made a fortune. It was great. I also rang their dinner bell for them because they had a big dinner, like big school bell. So when dinner was ready, you know, they when you went ding, 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 you went up here and you rang it on all the different uh, hallways and everything like that. It was really cool. That was I did that for free. That's an entrepreneurial spirit. That's the way you do it. And I made a fortune. And every once in a while, when I was at home during the school year, I'd get out this cigar box where I had all this money, and I would take it, I would throw it up in the air. Whee! Like you see in the cartoons. I had all this money. So when I was home during the summer, I could go to the candy store. I could buy my friend's sodas. You know, if my, and when I had a bike, I got a really nice bike at one time for Christmas. I could go to the bike shop and buy stuff for it. Or I can get it fixed. And I had a, my parents didn't have to pay for this. I paid for it myself. It was really cool. So it was really nice to have my own money. But then you've got to teach your kids to do that. You can't just say, no, no, we'll take care of this, we'll take care of that. Because they'll grow up thinking everything's going to be handed to them a silver platter and they'll be voting for Obama-like presidential candidates after a while. So you have to teach them reliability, rely on themselves, and if you give them allowance, if they spend it, they starve. That's it. You spent your allowance, I'm sorry, you're not getting any for X amount of weeks. And to get that allowance, you have to do these chores. You haven't done your chores, that means another week you're not getting any allowance. So there. You know? So that's the way to do it. You teach them responsibility, and they will grow up to have this responsibility. Now, the last thing, you're getting near retirement, what do you do? You start moving your investments out of stocks and into annuities. So let's say, oh, I don't know, let's say, well, you know, you're going to retire at 70, let's say. I'm 60, maybe I'm going to retire at 70. Okay. But when you get about 60 or so, start moving some of the money out of stocks into annuities. You buy annuities with the value of the stocks. Now, I'm going to start doing this, but I'm going to wait until the stocks go up again. Then I'm going to start buying annuities. So then by the time you retire, you should still have maybe a quarter of your money in stocks and everything else in annuities, and that gives you your retirement income. But the stocks you have can still go up. So you can buy even more annuities later on with those stocks and live a little better. And then you, when you retire, you have to redo all this budget stuff, all right? Hopefully, your house mortgage will be long paid off. Your kids will be out of school, all right? There's nobody home, nobody, no mouths to feed at home. And basically, it's just you and your medical bills, because you're going to have medical bills when you get older. And, um, and then you get to enjoy your retirement with your spouse, sit out in the backyard, have a barbecue now and then, you know, uh, you can have a drink now and then, and then you can relax. And then you can relax, and as I said on my sheet, you don't have to go on welfare. You don't have to eat dog food, you know, which a lot of people, you know, they say, oh, I've got Social Security. What's the likelihood Social Security is going to be there when you retire? And how much do you get from Social Security? Social Security is enough to keep body and soul together, period. That's it. That's it. You want to live on Social Security? That's the minimal, really, you need to live on. Well, it's not guaranteed that it stays there, because if my dad's Social Security, half of it's just taken away. They just took By... Oh, they took a Social Security? They have the yeah, Social Security away? I didn't even know they could do that. Wow. Well, there you go. So you can't rely on that at all. When I sold insurance, I would go into people's houses, and they wouldn't have any, any uh, retirement plan other than that. So, well, I got Social Security. And I would show them the figures. This is what you're going to have to live on when you retire. You want to live on that? You know, you're going to have to leech off your kids. If I leached off my daughter, I'd be in the basement with duct tape around me, and it'd be a little hole in my mouth with a straw that she would pour something in now and then so I didn't die. 
<laughs> Not because my daughter hates me, she's just like that, you know? That's why she's the single one. Yes, sir. <laughs> oh, well, no, no, no. My wife, my wife, since I'm the maid breadwinner, she doesn't want anything like that to happen. My daughter definitely. I'm, I'm kind of teasing, but sometimes I wonder, you know? <laughs> My daughter's the type of person, she hates my humor, she tells the exact same jokes. We both take after my father and she doesn't realize it, and I can't tell her about it, she would deny it. But you sit with her, like for example, she has a, 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 a her name is Margaret Lucky, she has a place on uh, Facebook. All these pictures of her with booze. And she's not an alky, but she likes to do that. It's funny to her. So she's got a whole table of booze, and I told her it's going to come back to haunt her when she runs for president. <laughs> so anyway... Uh, so I think we've covered just about everything. Any questions that you have? Yes? I have a question because this is such a weird time, and I'm a little bit older than most people, but I... You never know. Not, you never know. No, right. <laughs> anyway, right now I feel like, I mean, given this new administration, I have a total... I just wonder what is solid ground here. The things that I would have done that I was planning on doing for this year, mm -hmm. maybe last... October. Mm -hmm. I, I'm just holding off on. I'm nervous about putting money into a property. I don't mm -hmm. know what, yeah. how to cope with this wild inflation. I thought about buying gold. Yeah. I don't, you know what I mean? Sure. Well, if I have I to tell you, you, I tell you, yeah, I tell you something. Most people say when stocks or property are low, don't buy them. Buy them then. Those are bargains. And you know, did you ever hear of a you REIT? Buy the property. Buy yeah, did you ever hear of a REIT? Real Estate Investment Trust? What you do is you buy shares in this company, the REIT company. They buy the property. They buy the property and you just keep the shares in it. And just like every other kind of investment plan, you have a larger and larger portion as the things go up. And these guys are professionals. They're professionals. You don't have to think about, gee, there's a thing in there. Are going to develop this land or not going to develop this land? Are going to put a mall there or not? You don't have to think about it. Go for a REIT. And, and when the prices are down, that's where the bargains are in real estate. Same thing with stocks. The stocks are down. If you do your research on, on companies, then you, f you, you realize that, that if the stock is down, it's just because the whole market is down, but the company looks solid. Uh, there are a lot of companies out there. They've been talking about this on, on financial channels and things like that. Where I don't know. They'll, the guy will say, the analyst will say, like on Fox, he'll say, I don't know why this company is down. It's doing well, but the stock is down 20%. Why? What's well, it because the whole market went down? Because of the lack of trust. But see, that's a bargain now. So you get that, and it goes up sky high. You know. Also, the other thing is you should have, if you buy stocks and, or things on your own, you should have a stop loss. So let's you say, you pick a percentage. Let's say, uh, say 6%, that's a 6. 6% is, say, the purchase price. You originally have, if it goes below that, you sell, even if it's at a loss. All right? Because people get greedy. People say, oh, the stocks, it's going up, it's going up, it's going up. Then it starts to go down. We well, can let it go down, but then it goes down, 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 down. You don't want to let it go down to nothing because then it's probably going to fail. So you say, all right, if it gets down to this level, I'm going to sell it regardless. You have to do that or you're going to lose a lot of money on it. So you take a little loss, like 5 6% from, the, from the, uh, the purchase price of it, but at least you didn't lose everything. That's one of the reasons why people lost money in the stock market crash of 29. The stocks had gone up for so long, they didn't believe they could go down. So when they started to go down, and that's because everybody was selling because the, the Fed revo revoked the money supply. They didn't think it was going to go down that much, and it plunged almost overnight. If you didn't sell right away, you lost everything. So you have to have a stop loss. But anyway, just the real estate, it's, it's going to come back. In fact, they've started coming back. The housing market started to come back. As if so, a follow-up on that, what I was 
thinking of was there was a certain amount that I was thinking of buying for paying, spending on a property and house that to me is reasonable given my income and everything. Right. What I was thinking of doing maybe is still keeping that went ceiling that I have, mm -hmm. but maybe paying as little as possible down. Yeah. And keeping the rest in savings. You know what I'm saying? In other words, not going out and saying, well, everything fell, so instead of spending 200 I'm going to leverage and spend. But I just don't know. So, uh, well, the thing is you have to compare what you're getting on the savings compared to what you're paying in interest on mortgage that you got right, for the property. Right. And if you're paying more, it's be better for you to pay more for the house, all right, because then you own that part of the house. And then property, unless the government messes with it, as they did with this housing bubble, and don't get me started. Yeah, I um, know, because I was yes, some of that a property generally appreciates, unless all of a sudden you have an attack of alligators or something like that, but they property will appreciate. <laughs> so over the long run, that will appreciate. And then... Uh, yeah. Uh, two more. So regarding this REIT, that's an actual trading company. Is yeah, they're companies called REITs. Yes, and you buy well, shares in that company. The company. Well, yeah, it's a real estate investment trust. That's not the name of the company because you get a Bob Smith's REIT, Joe Schmo's REIT, mm -hmm. but uh, it's a real estate investment trust. That's what it is. That's its nature. And you buy a share in that company, and they buy the properties, and they make money off the properties. Okay. And then my last question was regarding inflation. What do you see? Is there a book you see? Is there something you suggest? Because it could be a very different life for us all. Oh, yeah. What, uh, what, what are you talking about? Something really practical or something? Yeah, just practical. Like, I remember my dad had friends in Germany before Hitler came to power. And they oh, said boy. They were filling wheelbarrows to bring. Oh, yeah. You know, and I had another. One dollar was worth four billion German marks. Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of what I'm nervous about. Well, I don't think it's going to get that bad. Well, how about this? A friend of mine, um, one of his friends was in Argentina. Mm -hmm. Oh, years. yeah. He had 60000 in savings, and the country went under, and that was gone. So that, right. I'm thinking that way. That's hyperinflation, I mean, yeah. Well, I can't predict absolutely, but I'm thinking, I'm thinking double-digit next year. That's what I'm thinking. Double-digit. Yeah, and I think what happens is we are, we're, we're at least sensible enough to get mad at the government when it becomes that bad and kick the bums out. And we did that when we, when we got Ronald Reagan in. In fact, Carter did that. Carter did that when he put um, Paul Volcker as head of the Federal Reserve because Paul Volcker retracted the money supply and inflation plummeted. Of course, we had a three-year recession, but that's what happens. That's like, a, that's like a crash diet. We needed that, and inflation was, it went down, it went down, it went down, and then for years, even through the Clinton years, it was 2%. Because nobody, they didn't, the Fed didn't mess. Greenspan was not a, much of an expansion of money supply guy. He did a little bit, but not much. But the, currently, Bernanke, although in his textbook, which I had at George Mason in my macro theory graduate class, you know, pointed out that if, if, the, face, if the Fed inflates 2%, prices are going to go up by 2%. Actually, the Austrians would say it's hard to tell. It might go up way more than that. He knows better, and he's inflating like crazy because that's his job. That's why they pay him. You see, he's getting his seven-figure salary, so Obama wants them to buy bonds from the Fed because China won't buy them, and they will pay the money for that, and it'll go off the charts. But I think at that point, when it gets really high like that, and we're starting to live hand to fist, we can kick them out. Germany couldn't kick them out. It was total chaos at the time. So it's going to reach, we might say, critical mass in the average American spirit. Yeah, when it starts to get into double digits, people are going to say, this stinks. Because what we're looking at is our food, our gas. Oh yeah, care, yeah, yeah. Like in fact, the, the gas, the gas uh, boom that we had in prices a while back—that was inflationary as well. Because on the on the international market, there was too much American dollars there. 
because the money the Fed expands leaks it leaches into the uh, into the currency market. People start to dump the currency. What so do you think about buying foreign currency? Because that's what I thought. I yeah. Oh I yeah. Sure. Yeah. No. That's that's yeah. It, it depends upon if the countries countries are uh, being austere and they're retracting their money supplies, the value of their currency is going to go up. But you got to buy it before it goes up because if you buy it later, you could spend a hundred dollars on one peso. Not going to be worth it. But you've got to buy it before it goes up, but you find out whether or not they're, they're approaching a hard money policy. You say, I'm going to buy this and see what happens. Um, okay, other questions? Yes? I have one. This chart that you left up at the top says billionaire. Yeah. Could you give us a scenario, for instance, I was just wondering, let's say, all right, people are graduating and they're working for six months. And they're able to put away a hundred dollars each month. Okay. And at the end of the six months, they get a bonus of a thousand dollars. Okay. Could they start on this path of perhaps investing that money? I mean, I, I know you said keep your current salary and live within. Yeah, as much as you can. I, I yeah. love that idea. And, and, and take inflation into account, obviously. Don't cut back on your food because inflation has gone up. But yeah, right. Try to, as much as you can, live within your means. Yeah. But could, could they actually get started with that $1,000 and $100 a month hmm. investing it? Sure. And you know what? There's a formula for this. Let's just, let's just take. You could make. If you, if you complicate it, you need a calculator to do it. But there's a formula. And it's called future value. Future value equals the principal, all right, uh, times 1 plus n is the interest rate to the, um, I'm sorry, not blue, dyslexic, 1 plus r to the n, okay? Uh, r is the interest rate plus 1, n is the amount of compounding, all right? So the, the $1,000 I invest today, all right, today, so I'm going to keep it in there for 25 years. And let's say the average interest rate is going to be 5%. So 1 uh, plus uh, 0.05, so that would be 1.05, to the 25th power. All right, and you do that on a calculator. Now that's just for that. Suppose you put in $1,000 every month. It makes it easy because it's the same amount of money. So it's that plus this plus the same thing, plus one, you know, P... 1 plus r to 24, because you're going you're gonna to take it all out at the end of the 25th year. And then the next month, the same thing, and you go on and on and on. That's why you need a calculator to do it. You, you die of old age doing this. But that's the formula for future value. And this will tell you, at the, if you did this for 25 years, how much would you have at the end? And see compound interest, you know, increases and increases your, the money that you have in there until it starts to go up the charts. Inflation is the same way. All right? They inflate the money supply, inflate the money supply, and eventually the value of the prices go like that. It's the same thing. But that's the way you do that. That's how you figure that out. So if you go to math or you have a, you have a business calculator, you can do that. Put in the formula for present value. Future value. I said future value. Yeah, future value. Present value is like the mirror image of that. Okay. Any other questions? Yes? I know you've given me quite a lot of your time, but is there anything you recommend for reading regarding how to cope with inflation beyond what you Oh, yeah, you asked that. Um, You know, only the Austrians really understand inflation, Austrian economists. And the, um, I don't think there's any easy book. Um, 
because a lot of it's you know very difficult economic theory. However, I'm teaching money and banking now, and there's a book. It's a big fat book we're using by a good Catholic, Jesus Huerta de Soto, uh, and he's a, at university in Spain. He's a good friend of mine. He's a good Catholic, uh, and it's. Um, I forget what it is now, darn it, my, my memory for names is so big. I've used this book for a million years, but anyway, it's this fat, but that really explains everything, and he's like a prophet, because he wrote this book before the housing boom and everything like that, and everything in there is predicted. That's the person, his name is Jesus? Jesus Huarte, -E -E, Soto, like in Hernando de Soto. And he had, it, uh, it has a lot of writings, red, websites, a lot of it's in Spanish, but he's, this book is in English, he wrote it in English, so he's a very, uh, very Anglo type of person. Um, there's also Ludwig von Mises' Theory of Money and Credit. What's that called? Ludwig von Mises, M-I-S-E-S. M-I-S-E-S. Theory, theory of Money and Credit, the Theory of Money and Credit. But those are highly technical, that's how they're highly technical books. Uh, to think of something that's real quick, um, I just asked me about it maybe. You know, I could I could tell you about it quicker than anything. I, I can't you go to your office. Yeah, or yeah, or, or or talk to me after this is over or whatever you want to do. Yeah, you can go to my office or I have office hours Wednesday down here at uh, at four o'clock, four to five. At Friday, Thursday I have office hours, I have an hour at four o'clock in St. Fillion's and another hour in my office at Friday that is? That's Thursday. Oh, Thursday. Wednesday, four to five. Wednesday, four to five. In here, down in the back here, in the basement, in the little cafe they used to have there, and then Thursday, four to five, in no, I'm sorry, three to four in St. Killian's. four to five in my office in in uh, Madonna. Madonna, is that where it is? Yeah, Madonna. And then Friday, four to five again down here. Okay. And meanwhile, I'll think about if there's any any quickie book to understand inflation, but. I don't think there's any. Let me, I'll figure it out. Yeah, there might be an article I could bring you to. That could be good. Yeah. Yes. Uncle Eric's Penny Candy books, pretty good for basic economics. I mean, I know they use them in high school a lot. I have never heard of them. Really? Yes. So I couldn't vouch for them. But there's, I mean, for economics in general, there's things like Economics for Everyday People by Gene Callahan and things like that. There's Thomas Sowell has. Uh, books, uh, economics, basic economics. There's, uh, oh, I can't think of his name now. He has another one on just basic economics. You know, so on economics, yeah, there's some good basic stuff uh, for lay people. Uh, but I think on inflation, there's people that talk about it, but don't get into the nitty gritty, except in the big technical books. Right. Any other questions? Okay, thank you very much for coming. I enjoyed it very much.